I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us again. How have you been? I've been very well, thank you, Mike. I had some days of vacation, so it's beautiful to be out and about uh, in northern Michigan. Oh, northern Michigan. Okay, great. Yeah, pure Michigan. I'm I'm ready to do the commercial. (laughs) You and Tim Allen. That's great. That's awesome. Any specific place? Well, I usually uh, spend uh, some days in the priest cabin at Camp Sancta Maria, which is a great joy for me. I was a counselor there, I was chaplain, and I have a great uh, uh, investment, uh, belief, confidence in uh, what the camp accomplishes as a way of uh, formation. So it's a joy to be there. I was able to send my sons there this summer and my nephews went as well. And I was so impressed with the ministry that they do there kind of, and you say it on some commercial on YouTube, I think for Camp Sancta Maria, but it's, it's allowing kids to enjoy so many different um, environments and skills, but also grounded in this real uh, faith beauty. And so I was so impressed when they came home from camp. It was so cool. I know, Archbishop, you're celebrating, uh, just recently, you celebrated your 25 years as a, as a bishop. Um, you know, I saw some coverage in the Detroit Catholic, and um, I know you're able to come, come together and mark the occasion and kind of celebrate with other priests and deacons. And um, how, how was that for you, just to celebrate 25 years? Um, you know, what, what has been, you know, a big, a big uh, lesson you've learned as a bishop for 25 years now? Mike, it was a a great opportunity to give God praise and thanks for his fidelity to me. I'm certainly unworthy of uh, this trust that he's given to me, but, uh, you know, that's what Peter said to him, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And uh, he wasn't going to take that, was he? (laughs) He came right back at him. And uh, so I'm aware of uh, the shortcomings I've brought to, to this, but... I have so much to give God praise and thanks for. And I, uh, I particularly uh, have been thinking about all of the wonderful people I've been able to know and work with and who have been part of my life for these 25 years. Mm-hmm. That was, in some ways, the best part of it, was thinking about uh, the people God has given me uh, in these 25 years. Imagine what heaven's going to be like to be with them all the time. Yeah. I know. Archbishop, remind me of the history a little bit. So I know you were named, I believe you were named an Auxiliary Bishop of Detroit first. And then went for, for how long did you do that before you were sent to Oakland? I was uh, named an Auxiliary Bishop in 1996. Mm-hmm. And uh, right at New Year's of 2003, I got the call from the nuncio that the Holy Father was sending me to Oakland. And I was in Oakland for a little more than six years. Okay. And then you came to Detroit in 2009, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Very good. I know you don't, you're not necessarily on Instagram stories all the time, but I will tell you on your 25th anniversary, my, my social media, so many people had posted that they were praying for you and that they were excited for you and grateful for you. There was a a sense, there was a real sense of excitement for you and also Thanksgiving for the ministry that you've 
you've done, you know? Was it a little bit like when, you know, when we have significant wedding anniversaries, we take some time to almost be reflective on the ways that God has moved in the last, like, 10 years of our marriage. Do you do a little bit about, uh, a little bit of that as you approach these big, significant milestones? A lot of that, Mary, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's uh, how it might work comparably, right. but uh, it, it just doesn't seem like that long. It seems mm-hmm. like just yesterday, and, and then... <laughs> As you begin to chronicle it, you, you realize how rich it all is. Yeah. I have to say one of the things that gives me the greatest joy is for people to say that they have found something I've done or some things that I do to help them grow in the faith, grow closer mm-hmm. to the Lord. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really, that's what I most want is yeah. to be that instrument. And And what most saddens me is when I'm aware that somehow I might have impeded that. Mm. It's complicated. There's like the highs, but I, I will tell yeah, you, yeah, life's Fisher, complicated. It sure right? is. But I will say there were a lot of people that were sharing that you have significantly, significantly impacted their faith. So, uh, well, I hope at the last too. judgment they get up and give their yeah. testimony. <laughs> Don't just keep it on Instagram. Share it with (laughs) Heavenly Kingdom as well. That's great. Well, we're excited for you, and congratulations on 25 years. That's neat. Amen. Today, we have the uh, pleasure and the opportunity to talk about St. Anne, the grandmother of Jesus, in honor of her feast day, which was just a few days ago on July 26th. So to begin with, can you kind of remind us who St. Anne was and why she's so important to our faith? Well, uh, we don't know from the sacred scriptures themselves the names of uh, the parents of uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, but from a very ancient tradition, uh, we understand them to have been named uh, Joachim and Anna, which actually is the Arabic word for grace. Mm-hmm. Anne, Hannah, uh, grace, they're all really the same name. And uh, what was passed on from the earliest generations is that they were a sterile couple and in fact endured a certain amount of shame because there was a common belief (coughs) among the the Jews that uh, if you didn't have children, it must mean that somehow you didn't deserve the blessing of continuing to propagate the the chosen people. Mm -hmm. And so they, but they were very devout and they looked for, as the scripture puts it, uh, the hope of Israel, and uh, eventually, uh, in in their old age, according to these uh, traditions, uh, they were granted the favor of a daughter, uh, mm-hmm. the Blessed Virgin Mary. And uh, the scripture puts it this way, that, uh, well, the liturgy borrows a text from uh, the scripture that puts it this way, that from the stock of Jesse has flowered a great blossom, so that uh, uh, this there, this was their great mission in the world, was to be the instrument by which uh, God would prepare a mother for His Son. Wow! And and so uh, I mean it, it's very uh, I mean that that's the 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 bare bones reality. Mm-hmm. But from what we know about human life and the way God works, we understand uh, the role that uh, these two parents played in the life of raising a, a devout daughter. Mm. I mean, they taught her how to be a Jew, and uh, so she was able, along with Joseph, to teach uh, Jesus the ways of being a Jew. I mean, that's one, one, one way to think about it. They had this very important role in, um, I mean, 
in, in bringing about the incarnation, mm -hmm. but in filling out the whole uh, uh, detail of it. I was thinking about it the other day, uh, how our Lord would have seen the Blessed Virgin Mary preside at the Sabbath supper, light mm -hmm. the lights. Well, how did Our Lady know how to do that? Mm -hmm. Well, her ma taught her. I mean, isn't that right. the way? That's the way yeah. uh, girls learn. Yep. She she knew how to cook. She she knew how to be uh, a mother, uh, a wife to Joseph. Mm -hmm. uh, she was taught that by by Saint Anne. Mm -hmm. You know, I noted that um, <clears throat> you mentioned earlier about the. Um, in tradition, the fact that they were a childless couple for many years and even possibly kind of scorned or made fun of for that. I, I know, um, obviously, St. Anne is a patron of many things, uh, but also including, obviously, grandparents and childless couples. How, how are patronages kind of chosen for saints? Do you, do you know how that kind of operates at the, at the, is that like a, some, you know, office at the Vatican is sitting around in a formal process uh, choosing these things, or is it kind of more informal or just connected to their stories? How, do you know how that happens, Archbishop? Well, it's all those things, Mike. Uh, I think it, it's most importantly, it's uh, informal. Uh, people feel a connection to a saint. Uh, one of the earliest forms of uh, being, a, and, and being a patron is being a kind of a, an advocate, uh, somebody to accompany us, uh, a buddy. You might call mm. it that, really. That's it's, great. It's not, it, <laughs> that's if great. that's yeah. not uh, too informal. Yeah, no. Uh, but uh, when people name their children, uh, a very devout thing is to give, name them so they have this patron, right. uh, somebody who can accompany them all through their life. That, that's very typical. So it's informal. Uh, people uh, and groups as well. Uh, choose their own patron. If a patron is to be observed in, in the liturgical celebration, then it has to be uh, re, uh, supervised by the Congregation for Liturgy in the Holy See. Okay. They have to okay uh, that designation. And then uh, sometimes the Holy Father himself will designate uh, a patronage. Uh, for example, uh, Pius XI, uh, I believe it was Pius XI, dedicated, uh, named uh, uh, St. Saint Joseph the patron of the Universal Church. Mm. So it's all those things. Right, both and. Now, St. Anne is also the patron saint of the Archdiocese of Detroit. When did that happen historically? When did she become our our patron saint. You know, Mary, I don't remember exactly the year. It wasn't okay. too many years ago okay. uh, that it was officially recognized. And uh, I wanted to be sure that the diocese had a patron, and, okay. and we didn't uh, have an officially recognized patron. Right. So um, what you have to do, what the Holy See asks for uh, uh, such a process, is for the bishop to consult uh, the the priests and the mm -hmm. deacons and, and the lay faithful, uh, who do they think should be a patron? Right. And uh, we did, a, we used electronic media, we did a lot of consultation, wow. and in fact, St. Anne came out on top. Okay. Cool. And I sent uh, the documentation to the Board of Cardinals that looks at all of this, mm -hmm. and they came, wrote back and said, uh, in fact, for time, from time immemorial, meaning I don't know how many generations that is according mm -hmm. to church law, but it, it means, at least, I think it means at least a century. Mm -hmm. They said that in effect, St. Saint, 
Saint uh, Anne has been your patron ah. in the life of the diocese, in the way people think about her. And right. so rather than our declaring her your patron, we are going to affirm that she has been your patron, which I thought oh. was a beautiful way to put it. I and love and that. there's a, a tremendous uh, uh, confidence in the instinct of, uh, of the, the parishioners, the people, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. when it comes, they, they examine it to make sure it's sound. But they look, uh, the, the leaders in the, whole, in the Vatican look at it as a kind of uh, confirmation of what's going on in the grassroots. Right. It's funny, it was hard for me to remember, even if it was in my lifetime, that she was officially named the patron of the Archdiocese. Because in my family, and I know so many um, parishioners in the Archdiocese of Detroit, she's always held such a special place. Like I remember St. Anne's Day going with my grandmother down to, you know, St. Anne's in Detroit. It was, it was just a part of our faith upbringing. So I just, um, I love that you're saying that that's kind of how it happened. Like they were like, well, sure, because this is how it's been. Right? Well, you look at uh, how many parish, uh, place, uh, in the parishes of so, uh, the churches of so many of our parishes, mm -hmm. there's a statue of St. Anne. Yeah. It's yeah. just been very much a part of our life. That's beautiful. Oh. Do you remember if there was any other saints that, that came close but just didn't get the title of the patron well, of the Well, some people would have liked uh, Father Solanus, but I don't, he right. wasn't even oh. blessed at that time. Right. right. Yeah. St. Joseph was on that list. Yep. How cool. Huh. That's really neat. And then when did you announce it to the faithful, that, like formally, that this is the patron of the Archdiocese of Detroit? Again, Mary, I don't remember the year, but as soon <laughs> okay. as I got the letter from uh, uh, the Holy See, I shared yeah. that news. And what it means is that from now on, uh, the, uh, the memorial on the mm -hmm. 26th of July, Joachim and Anne, is to be celebrated as a feast day with its own particular character. So that uh, gives a shape to the, uh, to the way the Mass is celebrated in this diocese on that day and uh, the way the Liturgy of the Hours is celebrated. It, it intensifies it. It moves it up a notch. That's great. Well, now, Archbishop, I believe the St. Anne as a patron for the Archdiocese really kind of takes its root in uh, our original well, Cadillac and the original settling of Detroit back in 1701. Isn't that right? Because essentially when the settlers first uh, arrived, they started to build and establish a church and they named it St. Anne even back in 1701. Isn't that correct? Or is that... You are right, Mike. It was yeah. just a couple of days after they landed and they, they, the, the Europeans started to build. But I, I'd like to take us back even a little farther. Mm -hmm. I mean, many, many of the, uh, the French uh, explorers and clergy who came to New France came from Brittany, the, uh, the duchy in the northwest corner of, uh, of France. And there was a great devotion to St. Anne there uh, because there had been an apparition and also because of a devotion to a member of the royal family who was named Anne. So it, it was part of their own culture. Mm. These explorers brought that with them to New France. Uh, oh. One of the fruits of that, of course, is the great shrine at St. Anne de Beaupre. So it was uh, part of the, the faith culture that th these settlers brought with them. And so it made all the sense in the world for them to see providentially that they would start this establishment 
this new village uh, under the patronage of St. Anne. And what I think is so beautiful about that is it, it's a witness to the truth that uh, just part of the very fabric of our community is faith. That uh, from the beginning, uh, it, there was not a divorce between faith and culture. Mm. And I think that's an important lesson, certainly for us Catholics. It right. reminds us that uh, there are voices that want to uh, sort of marginalize faith from culture. Uh, people, pro people protest that right. we shouldn't uh, uh, be living our, our convictions, mm -hmm. our beliefs in the public square. We should keep it to ourselves. And that, that's not legitimate. But that's also true for people of other uh, faith traditions. I mean, I, uh, our non-Catholic brothers and sisters, our Jewish brothers and sisters, our Muslim brothers and sisters, we need to have a, a place in our society for uh, the contributions they make right. because of their, uh, their uh, conviction about the Lordship of God. Mm-hmm. So St. Anne's is the second oldest continually operating parish in the United States, right after the... Uh, yeah, a lot of, you got to have a lot of uh, conditions in there. Listen, <laughs> listen, it's first is the worst, second is the best. So I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so after the Cathedral uh, Basilica of St. Augustine in Florida, so that is the first continuously running cathedral, right? But then St. Anne's would be next, right? That's our claim. Okay. <laughs> so other than naming St. Anne our patron, what else have we done in the Archdiocese of Detroit to kind of honor and preserve this rich heritage that you're talking about, including like the settlers? Like it's such a rich and deep heritage. How do we celebrate that as a diocese? I think uh, one of the most important ways is the annual novena to St. Anne that mm -hmm. uh, uh, the current rector and his predecessors before him at St. Anne's tried to make uh, the nine days... Uh, leading up to the solemnity, uh, something for the whole diocese. I think mm -hmm. that's very important. I try to encourage people to invoke St. Anne uh, as part of uh, just an ordinary prayer. I mean, we, we do a lot, a lot of what we do in uh, unleashing the gospel, we put under the patronage of St. Anne, her mm -hmm. protection, mm -hmm. uh, because in some ways, this is particularly her home territory. Mm -hmm. I also think a, a very important element in, in this chain of connection is Father Gabriel Richard, who is the greatest of the pastors of St. Anne Parish. You know, Father Richard was uh, a Sulpician priest, uh, a refugee from the French Revolution, came to the uh, United States on the mission, was mm -hmm. sent out here to uh, the frontier to uh, serve as the pastor at St. Anne, which meant caring for many of the churches up and down the water, uh, from Monroe all the way up to uh, at least Marine City. I, I'm not sure he got, probably he must have gone as far as Fort Gratiot, uh, Port Huron. And uh, he, he was a, a link in this unbroken tradition that goes back to 1701. I mean, this is, uh, in the in the 1800s, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, many people don't know Father Richard and a Protestant minister named uh, Dr. Monteith were the co-founders of the University of Michigan. Oh, 
Father Richard uh, was our territorial delegate to the Congress in the United States. Uh, while he was there, he uh, was instrumental in getting the federal government to build the road between uh, Chicago and uh, Detroit, Michigan wow. Avenue. Yeah. Uh, same, really pretty much the same route as I-94. Mm -hmm. And uh, his wisdom about that was open up the, the central part of the peninsula to farming. People didn't just need to be on the, the shores of the lake. They should be... Uh, uh, opening up the inner the inner part of the pro, uh, the territory, yeah. uh, he published uh, he brought the first printing press into the territory, pub published the first newspaper, printed wow. the first book. I think um, uh, he, in some ways, exemplifies uh, this uh, tradition of Saint Anne and the meaning of uh, Saint Anne as our, our patroness. Well, that's a long that's a long answer, but I'm I'm a big fan of Father Richard. He's, he's yeah. a big hero to me. And it's so it's so awesome. I think, like you pointed out, sometimes in our culture we try to erase the faith heritage or the faith piece that really helped to to build our our nation's history. And it's a beautiful thing to remember and to kind of honor that piece of who we are as Catholics. You know, working in the world to bring about. Um, you know, modernization and change and good things for all people. So I love that that reminder. That's great. You know, we tend to think so uh, kind of scientifically and, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, there's a there's a narrative, there's a story that's that we're able to be a part of that's bigger mm -hmm. and grander. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you're, you keep Archbishop, you keep talking about these like uh, chains in the link uh, or links in the chain, I guess you could say, uh, going back to 1701. And, you know, today you and I are a part of that same chain today. What what link will we provide? And what will we do? Uh, and today's Arch, Archdiocese of Detroit. You know what I mean? So it's just a cool cool reminder of all of that history. It's you know? beautiful. I know also one of the things that we've done uh, to really kind of retain that history and um, to celebrate the patronage of St. Anne was I know there was a decision to request that St. Anne Church in downtown be named a basilica. Archbishop, would you mind telling us a little bit about how that process uh, functions and what that was like and, and what does it mean for that church to become uh, a basilica within the archdiocese? Well, let's start at the end. What does it mean? Uh, to be designated a basilica is to receive an honor from the Holy Father that basically makes you an honorary church of the of the city of Rome. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the ancient basilicas, the greatest of the basilicas, of course, St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Mary Major, mm -hmm. uh, the Most Holy Savior, St. John. Uh, uh, these are the great basilicas, but there are other lesser basilicas. And so it's, it's really like being made an outpost of mm -hmm. uh, the city of Rome here in our midst. It's an honor. Uh, to be designated such by uh, the Pope. Uh, the requirement is that you have to be a special place for devotion, for uh, extraordinary opportunities, for pilgrimage, for uh, catechesis, for uh, celebration of the sacraments. And it has to be of a certain dignity, uh, a certain artistic worthiness. And so, uh, Monsignor Kosenki, as the pastor of the parish church, uh, had in mind that St. Anne's was uh, worthy of this designation. And so he put together basically a case statement, a dossier. Uh, he, had, he and his team prepared it. I had to review it with my recommendation. 
and I sent it on to the Holy See, to the Vatican, and they, they reviewed it. They, they uh, sent it back. They said, you know, these are a couple of things that have to be improved if we're going to be able to uh, 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 approve uh, this designation. Uh, I, we were able to uh, meet those uh, requirements, and uh, they, they then, on, in the name of the Holy Father, uh, designated St. Anne Church as a Basilica Church. And then the Shrine of St. Anne, where is that and what is its purpose? It's a part of the, the church. It's actually over to the left side. Okay. It uh, at one time would have simply been one of the side altars. It's, it's very beautiful. Uh, but they've uh, uh, embellished it and uh, dedicated it specifically to St. Anne. And so it's really the focal point for devotion to St. Anne in mm. the church. And when people come to St. Anne Basilica on St. Anne Day, mm -hmm. they, uh, under the usual conditions, they can gain a plenary indulgence to, when they pray at the shrine. Is there any other place um, that you can think of in the United States where there is such a devotion to St. Anne? Or if, if you had a strong devotion and you lived in Florida, would this be a place you'd want to go to on pilgrimage because it is rare? You know, I, I, I don't really know. Uh, right. That'd be something for Monsignor Kosenki. When I think about uh, places for devotion, right. in, in I would think in North America, obviously yeah. St. Anne de Beaupre right. comes first to mind. Yeah, that's, well, on, that's, that's on my list of places to, to get with my family one day, is to uh, St. Anne de Beaupre. That would be wonderful. I heard it's absolutely beautiful and such a place of profound worship. So hopefully one day. I know one thing our listeners may not be aware of also is that, uh, Archbishop, I know that you had kind of requested and then um, the, the construction and then the installation of tympanums, which are really, uh, you know, it's a fancy word for basically a triangular or semicircular uh, decorative piece of art that goes over a doorway or a window. Um, and you uh, commissioned a couple to be made, one for the Chancery Building, uh, where your offices are downtown, as well as the Cathedral of the Most Blessed Sacrament. Um, would you be able to speak a little bit to how that came about, you know, what, what your choice was in the commissioning of that, and um, yeah, how they were designed, and tell us a little bit about them. Sure, happy to do that, Mike. Um, the uh, we moved uh, the offices, the courier offices, from the building next to St. Aloysius. It just became impractical, that building plus the, the building on Michigan Avenue. We needed uh, to downsize our space, change our footprint, uh, mm -hmm. get something that was more modern. And this old bank building uh, became available. Uh, developers uh, related to Capitol Park, we, uh, one side of the building faces Capitol Park. Mm -hmm. uh, the main entry is on State Street, so it's State and Griswold. And uh, it's a very elegant building, and it has, uh, up on the, the main entry is really two stories tall, and it has a, a, a semicircular window over the main uh, impressive doorway. And I had the idea that we could put a work of art in there that would be a public uh, manifestation of who we are and what we are in the city. As a matter of fact, my first idea was to put something on the side of the building hmm. and uh, the, uh, uh, 
zoning people said, no, you can't do that. It's right. a historic building. It's <laughs> right. not allowed. Yeah. So we, we developed this uh, possibility of something that fits in the niche, the semicircular niche. And uh, so what should it be? I mean, it's, it's meant to be a statement about the Catholic Church in southeast Michigan. So we, we had already been talking about the new evangelization. So what do we do? We present the incarnate word of God. Mm. That means something very much about the Blessed Virgin Mary. But we're Detroit, so it also means St. Anne. So the depiction then is in the central uh, part of the, of the sculpture is the incarnate Christ child standing on the sacred scripture. Uh, and he's being held out to the city on one side by his grandmother, St. Anne, and on the other side by the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so it's meant to be a, a, a visual presentation of the Catholic Church to the city of Detroit and to Metro Detroit. Wow. And it has other elements that uh, bespeak the, the meaning of it. Um, in the background, there's a kind of a halo made by apple trees, which reflect two things. One, uh, it should bring to mind the, the, the fall uh, that is undone by the coming of the word of, Christ, of God, but it also should help us think about, uh, uh, you know, the state flower is the apple blossom, so it kind of roots us in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, the, the way our Blessed Vir Virgin, the, our Blessed Mother is depicted is she has her foot on the snake, mm -hmm. uh, showing that uh, the coming of the incarnate word is the end of the reign of the, of the, the demon. Mm -hmm. uh, on the smock of the Christ child is a trillium, uh, which helps us think about uh, the state again, you know, uh, the trillium is the state wildflower. And uh, there are angels on either side. And uh, their, uh, their features are meant to depict persons of color, uh, in some ways indefinite, but to remind us that the gospel is for all people. Mm -hmm. And one of the angels holds wheat and the other holds uh, grapes as a, a point that... Uh, it's through the Holy Eucharist that really we come into the fullest presence of the Incarnate Word here in, uh, in, uh, in our community. Um, the sculptures that we chose to do it uh, had us, I don't know where they are now, I presume it's still out by Ann Arbor. Local sculptors, they had the best uh, proposal. And their proposal was to, I think they did it in clay, modeled mm -hmm. it in clay, then they made a... Uh, a, uh, a mold and uh, poured uh, a, a kind of resin plastic into it. Hmm. And so it's uh, resilient to the weather, right. uh, keeps the detail. And they said, uh, you know, we can, we can cast two uh, sculptures uh, right. at the same time. And so I said, well, that's a great deal, two for one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Bargain uh, shopper. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it was a little more, but it wasn't yeah, right. like double price. Sure, right, because they had already 50 done the cast. 50% off for right. the second, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. And uh, so then we began to think about where that might go, and there's a, a, 
a, a space in the cathedral that seemed to make this fit very well, and it creates a kind of a connection yeah. between uh, our central headquarters and our spiritual headquarters. Right. I will tell you, I um, we're a family that goes to Detroit quite a bit. You know, on the weekends we find things to do downtown. Um, my husband and the kids and I, and I'm so thankful for it because it's it's a little teachable moment for my kids when we're downtown. They look for it, you know, and they point to it. And then we've talked about it so many different times. And I'm always I always say Archbishop Vigneron. I'm like, that's where Archbishop Vigneron works for the kids. But did you imagine that? Did you imagine that people on the street would be able to look up and and feel this moment of evangelism? or of, of, of teaching in some ways, even if they don't fully grasp every part of the sculpture itself, to like see a witness in right. the downtown area. Right, we're here, you know. Right. Uh, uh, you announce your presence, and, yep. and it's a beautiful uh, sculpture, I Gorgeous. think. Gorgeous, yeah. And so uh, even even in its beauty, if, if people don't uh, decipher all of the uh, symbols that I've talked about, Mm-hmm. It, it speaks, I think. I think well, it, it really does. It's it's a neat thing to be able to point out to people when we're downtown versus just, you know, a building with a little plaque that says Archdiocese of Detroit. You know, it's, it's a teachable moment. It's a witness. I love it. Love it. Well, Archbishop, I know that also, obviously, we timed this episode to coincide with the church's first annual World Day of Grandparents and the Elderly, which obviously is coincides basically with St. Anne's Feast Day and Joachim. Um, so... This is a, a new thing, obviously, the designating of a World Day for Grandparents and the Elderly. What message do you think that the Pope is um, intending or, or seeking to uh, convey about the importance of the elderly and grandparents specifically to us, the faithful, the wider society? What do you think was uh, uh, going on there for the Pope in that Well, I thinking? think the, the Holy Father said uh, he, he's concerned that... Uh, the even ordinary d- dynamic that's going on of uh, isolation, particularly in generations, has been exacerbated by the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, not least because the elderly have borne uh, the pain of it in a disproportionate way. And he wants us to think about intentionally uh, reestablishing these connections and especially appreciating the worth of uh, the elderly and the worth of the elderly in our families, uh, the grandparents. He, you know, he talks a lot about his own experience of his, his grandparents. I think he's very sensitive to that. My way of thinking about it, is, and I said this at St. Anne, I think uh, it's a kind of a call to reciprocity that uh, I mentioned earlier, the chain. Uh, we are connected in this familial chain. Uh, the way we do things comes from our parents and they got it from their parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times it's even more direct. Uh, uh, grandfathers and grandmothers talk to their grandkids and say, well, no, this is the way we do it. You know? yeah. uh, this is how we make gnocchi. Uh, they may do yeah. it differently over somewhere else. Or, yeah. uh, this is how we do apple pie. Right. Uh, this is how... Uh, we fix uh, the lawnmower. I yeah. mean, I just think there's, it's such a natural reality. And I think that's what the Holy, that's one way to think about what the Pope is talking about, that without these connections, we become this kind of free-floating, unrooted, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, lost, uh, just 
pieces of debris floating around. And, mm -hmm. uh, and if, you know, Mary, you're talking about your kids, yeah. if they're going to be good grandparents, granddads someday, uh, they, have to, uh, they have to be connected. Yeah. I thought you did. I was able to listen to your homily. Someone sent it to me, and they, they said it was so good. And I, I listened to it this morning on the way into the podcast, knowing that we were going to be talking about St. Anne. And I thought you did such a good job taking kind of some of these realities that are a bit mysterious and hard to understand. It can sometimes seem like the saints and the angels and um, even the Blessed Mother, they're far away. And when you take a moment to really reflect on what does a grandparent do, and that's what St. Anne and St. Joachim did for the Blessed Mother. You referenced it earlier. Um, it's it's neat to kind of think of the grandparents that my kids have and what they've done for my children being connected to the work that St. Anne and St. Joachim did for Mary translated that chain. Again, it, it's just, it's a really neat way to think about our faith. And, and God's... Uh uh, the, I think a very important uh, New Testament uh, term for that <clears throat> is the new creation. Uh, what God, <clears throat> the Son, has done in the power of the Holy Spirit is transform creation. It, the new creation is not as if God pressed the delete button and had right. to start all over right. again. Right. Uh, as uh, wounded as the old, the first creation was, mm. he he showed his power by taking uh, what had been wounded mm -hmm. uh, of his work and uh, trans healing it, transforming it, and making it an instrument of grace, mm. which is ultimately epitomized in the very person of Jesus Christ. Right. Well, in this role of grandparents too. I, I know you said Pope Francis speaks often about uh, his experience with his grandparents. And I think about my own children, like I said, and the, the role that their grandparents have in their life. What do you think if you, if you, you know, if you were able to kind of sum it up, what can St. Anne and St. Joachim teach us about the importance of grandparents? That in uh, consciously going about relating to their grandkids, they can help them uh, th th they can be uh, leaders in faith formation. I mean, that mm. sounds clunky, but no, yeah. they share their faith. They, yep. they should be about sharing a way of life, not necessarily mm. always uh, giving them lessons from the catechism. Sure. But to say something like, you know, okay, you're upset today. Uh, somebody was mean to you. Yeah. Uh, what we do is we forgive people who hurt us and we pray for them. I mean, that's yeah. a tremendous uh, formational experience. And I think there's a way that uh, uh, coming from our grandparents, in some ways it can make a, an even deeper impression. Uh, I think uh, the role of parents and grandparents is complementary. Yeah. I know it's not exactly good cop, bad cop, but sure. there's a little bit of that, I think. No, I love, you had said in, in the homily, grandchildren want to make their grandparents happy or proud or something. And it really stood out to me because I guess I had never isolate, uh, isolated that relationship. But my kids do. They, they, they relate differently to their grandparents, not better or worse, but they do want to make them proud. And, and that's a good way to translate to, you know, St. Anne as grandmother, you know, um, how are we reacting as grandchildren? You know, it's, it's a neat kind of bridge uh, to understand our faith at a deeper level, I think. 
Archbishop, I know you've also you've spoken on this podcast about this before, but then also in Unleash the Gospel, where you really dove into speaking about intercessory prayer and how it cultivates the soil for sowing the word. Um, I guess in speaking about this uh, specifically on Saint Anne and our patron for the Archdiocese of Detroit, do you have like an invitation? Um, or something you really ask of our listeners when it comes to that uh, cultivating the soil and stirring up a spiritual hunger through intercessory prayer, specifically when it comes to St. Anne. Do you have anything, uh, an invitation for our listeners on that? I think I'd begin with uh, just reminding St. Anne that uh, this piece of uh, the kingdom is uh, particularly hers. You know, uh, uh, she, she's got a special responsibility here. Uh, this is uh, very much part of her household, mm. and uh, please pray for the health of this family, that's her family, mm. and that, uh, that the family grow and flourish, which is what I think every, uh, every homemaker wants, isn't it? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I, mean, it, I think it can be that, uh, that plain. It is, And, yeah. and I think it, it, it's, it's not... Uh, Trivial, yeah. but it's, it's a simple way to understand a deeply profound reality mm-hmm. about how we are connected by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is her household, and she sure, certainly wants it to flourish, and so don't give up on us. Keep praying. Amen. We are at the point in the podcast where we get to ask you, Archbishop Vigneron, some questions from the faithful. If you're listening and you have any questions that you would like to ask, please feel free to email eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. Make sure to include your name, your parish, and of course, your question. So our first question comes from Kevin at St. Mary's in Monroe. Kevin says, will you watch the Olympics? If so, what events interest you the most? What is your favorite all-time Olympic story or athlete? Um, you know, I, I don't want to be a downer, but I don't really Uh-oh. watch the Olympics. <laughs> oh, no. I'm Mike pa- was saying I'm part he doesn't that, either. I'm part of that uh, uh, demographic that they they're missing but (laughs) but what i am interested in in the summer olympics are the uh, the sort of the the most ancient and traditional the the field sports Uh, Mm -hmm. javelin hammer throw uh, the discus uh, pole vaulting i find those the most interesting those field sports it's neat to think of history yeah they seem to be the uh Ma'am, I could mention some newer ones that seem a little more on the periphery, but I don't want to get a lot of mail about that. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a fair answer. We're a big Olympic family, and it always shocks me when people are like, I'm not really watching because, I mean, we've got it all set. The times, the alarm's going off so we can watch the (laughs) sports we're into. So um, it's exciting. But I I do agree. I'm excited for a track and field to start because that's it's a particular type of um, enthusiasm when we're watching that that type of sport. My favorite Olympic story has to be uh, uh, the victory of those college kids uh, in hockey at Lake Placid. I just think, to me, that represents the very best of uh, the meaning of sport, where it's about uh, courage and uh, perseverance Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, 
you know, there, there's something ab about an experience like that that shows uh, a kind of uh, mysterious uh, way to, to connect mm -hmm. and, and to accomplish something. And there are a lot of ways people talk about it, you know, dig down deep, uh, find the place in your heart. Uh, it really is a manifestation of something quite marvelous about human being yep. that, uh, that this can occur. Yes. Beautiful. Well, Archbishop, I have a question here from John at St. Anne of Detroit. I wonder how he got chosen, um, <laughs> <laughs> specifically with this month. Um, okay, so this is a really interesting question. I love what he asked. He says, uh, Archbishop, if you never entered the priesthood, uh, what else would you have liked to study? What do you think you would have pursued as a career? That's a big one. I think I probably would have become a lawyer. Oh, hmm. And I think I would have become a law professor, probably, maybe something, the more theoretical part of it, constitutional oh. law. Yeah. I think that would have fit me yep. pretty well. I, uh, I don't have the temperament to go into business. I, I mean, I respect uh, people who make that contribution, but mm -hmm. that, that just wouldn't have been where I would have wound up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, th I think something like... Uh, University teacher, uh, law, and maybe the confluence of those two things. Mm -hmm. Oh, very cool. And the opportunity we've had to do this podcast, I could see that. I think you, you look at things in a really yeah. interesting way, and you can tell uh, you have the, the mind of a professor. I think if it's okay to say that to you, it just seems like, you know, there's a lot of stuff up there that we get to hear, and I could see you being really good at that as well. Cool. Um, Danny at the Shrine of the Little Flower in Royal Oak asks you this question, which I thought was super interesting too. He said, when you were sent to serve as Bishop of Oakland, was it hard to lead a flock when you didn't really know the charism of the laity or even the names of your brother priests? What was it like to return to Detroit uh, to become the Archbishop here? Okay, going out to Oakland, yeah, it was yeah. <clears throat> very difficult to mm -hmm. go to a place I, I didn't know, people I was unacquainted with. And, uh, I mean, you know, it wasn't as if I was missioned to something as far away as Southeast Asia or Sub-Saharan Africa. Right. But uh, there is a, a cultural difference between the West Coast and us in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. So I had to sort of... I wouldn't say I learned a new language, but maybe have to learn a new dialect of uh, uh, culture there. Um, so it presented all of those challenges, but it also, uh, I was received by uh, very, very many people as appreciated for coming there and becoming mm -hmm. their pastor, and, and that meant a great deal. Um, and uh, so um, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but, sure. but it was a challenge. Yeah. And then About coming of, back. Go yeah. on, sorry, Mary. No, that's what I was just going to ask. So after having that time, when you come back, was, was it, what was that like? Well, it means a loss. Uh, you know, I had built up all these connections. Mm. I, I certainly never expected to come back to uh, the Midwest, yeah. not at all Detroit. Wow. That was a, those are very rare appointments. <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, it meant a loss to uh, put aside what I had invested myself in, the people whom, mm -hmm. with whom I had made connections. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there was the joy of coming home. Uh, 
probably there was nobody who had more joy in my coming home than my mother. I'm sure. Who, <laughs> when I said sense. to her that I was the Pope was bringing me back, she said, "Oh, I knew the Blessed Mother would make that happen." Oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good story. Because <laughs> there is you don't you sometimes don't think about that that loss when priests and bishops are called to faraway places. That would be hard for a mom. So <laughs> I love that. Very cool. Archbishop, before asking for your final prayer and blessing, well, of course, we want to ask you, is there anything specific uh, that we can pray for you? Uh, do you have any specific intentions or anything on your mind that we could keep in our mind in prayer? I'd like the listeners, please, to pray for their priests. This is a challenging time as we move to families of parishes. Uh, pray for the priests, the deacons, and, and the leadership in the parishes as they make the adjustments, which involve a, a death to self. I acknowledge that, but it's for the sake of uh, advancing the gospel, unleashing it, but it's not easy. I was uh, started to read the, uh, the account of the 16 Carmelite sisters who were guillotined in the French Revolution, and I thought, <laughs> yep, that's the Christian life. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And it's funny, you can almost take strength from that, though, when, you know, mm -hmm. when you're in it and it's tough, that, yeah, part of our call is the tough. And if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow him, we're not worthy to be his disciple. Mm -hmm. I don't we'll think, what kind of recruitment uh, <laughs> shtick was that? It's so you know? true. Yeah. <laughs> I was just telling somebody that the cross part of our faith is is constantly a challenge for me. You know, the suffering. She said, well, then you need to go sit at a church and you need to look at the crucifix more. And I was like, great point. It is. It's a part of the road to discipleship. So, Yeah, my confessor yeah. says that uh, when it gets uh, uh, to be burdensome, yeah. to remember that it, it's the opportunity to do something for him who's done so much for you. So good. Well, we will be praying for, for our priests and for you as we move through this process. Archbishop, as always, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, would you mind um, closing us with a, with a prayer and blessing? Uh, happy to do it. Uh, I'm going to use again, I think I've used it in the past, Pope Francis's prayer to St. Joseph from his uh, letter on uh, this year of Joseph. St. Joseph, guardian of the Redeemer, spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, to you, God entrusted his only son. In you, Mary placed her trust. With you, Christ became man. Blessed Joseph, to us too, show yourself a father and guide us in the path of life. Obtain for us grace, mercy, and courage, and defend us from every evil. Amen. St. Anne, pray, for, pray us. for us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.